All right, so we're in Romans chapter 1, verse 13, and my lesson tonight, Under Obligation, actually takes us to one of the most uh, common places, and again, I, I am going to get to some of those verses that you have shared with me, and if you still haven't sent me one, you have time, um, but I do want to make a lesson out of some of those, but a number of you chose uh, verses 16 and 17 uh, as your passage uh, from the book of Romans. And so we'll be talking about that here in just a couple minutes. So uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 13 is where we're going to start. And again, we're talking about this, this gospel that Paul is writing. And if anything, this letter is kind of an introduction to his doctrine. And so he's writing to the Romans about what he teaches. But in writing, he's also correcting some things that are a little out of balance in the church in Rome. Uh, some of that has to do with the Jewish uh, attitude of we are the ones who are saved. Gentiles have to become Jewish in order to, uh, to be saved. We'll be talking about that as we go through next couple chapters. And then there's misunderstanding concerning God's purpose and plan. Um, there must be some misunderstanding concerning uh, how, how Jesus removed uh, sin and the wrath of God from us because he goes into explanation in that portion. So uh, as we go through, we'll be seeing that Paul is some ways offering some correction Others, things he's heard, misinformation, or just they don't, they don't know where this came from. Remember that none of the original apostles have been to Rome uh, at this period of time. None of them had visited Rome. And by the time Paul gets there, still none of them have been there. And uh, so Paul was the first of the, uh, the apostles of the Lamb to visit Rome, um, but there's been other people who have been there, and excellent teachers, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, um, others who have brought the gospel in, who seem to be capable teachers. Um, there is a stable church in Rome with many house churches, as, uh, as we'll see. So there's things there, but Paul wants to be there, and so we're going to be talking about some of that tonight. And... He wants to be there, but it's not the right time. But he knows that he has an obligation. And he feels like this is not just a choice. You know, I have a great desire uh, to take an Alaska cruise, right, and see the coast and do some photography. I have a great desire. But that's my desire. It's not a plan from God. But when God directed me to go with Jonathan to China for the first time, I knew that that was a door that God had opened up and that there was a time for me to do that. And, and I knew that that was God's purpose. So there's, there's those things, things we want to do. And some of those things, God just says, that, that's okay. If that's what you want to do, do it. Like, we didn't ask and seek God's permission to go to Iowa this next weekend. <laughs> However, I am open to the fact that if God says no, <laughs> as we're on the way, I'll turn the car around and come back. Amen. And I'm good with that. But most of the time, God just lets us do. But then there's things that God wants us to do. And so I've titled this lesson Under Obligation because Paul is, is saying that there's things he's wanted, but there's one thing that's central. He's under obligation to speak the gospel to those who need to hear. And as we'll see as we go through this, his obligation is not to God, it's to the people. So let's read. Romans chapter 1, verse 13. 
I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, anthropos, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith unto faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So again, this is probably one of the classic passages uh, people have gotten to know. They, they know this verse. They love this verse. They love the, the working of it, the purpose of it. But we're going to back up to the to the beginning and um, look at this as he starts. I do not want you to be unaware. So when Paul says that, it indicates that there is some kind of question in the people's minds. I don't want you to be unaware. Obviously, with the fact that Paul knows the people that are in Rome, there must have been some communication of, well, I thought you were coming. When is it that you're coming? You know, we're, we're getting things ready. When should we expect you? Will you be on the next ship? <laughs> are, you, are you on your way? Uh, when my mom was still with us here on this earth, uh, she, would, she would count days till we were going to be in Ohio. And uh, she knew exactly. And if we got delayed, so where are you? You know, and she knew that once we got to Cincinnati, it was supposed to be this long to get from Cincinnati to buy home near Columbus. And um, if we weren't there, she'd be calling. So where are you? My sister lives in Nashville. Same thing with her. So where are you? You were in Cincinnati. What are you doing? You know, God forbid we stop and, you know, get a McDonald's or something like that on the way. But, so, um, actually, my, my problem in, in that area of Ohio is uh, Tim Horton Donuts. So, if you've not been to, yeah. Anyway, um, okay, don't go getting me Tim Horton Donuts. Sarah, what are you writing? Are you writing down Tim Horton? Just like, all right. Okay, so... Um, the, the thing is, Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware. I, in other words, there's been some anxiety. When is it you're coming? And Paul had been planning to go there for probably about five years. And so it's been in his heart to go to Rome, but he had other things. And so one thing after another, but the things after another weren't his choice as we'll see, unaware uh, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. One of the things that really irritated me in a couple of commentaries I picked up was this, that I may reap some harvest, and uh, their thing was Paul wanted to go there to get an offering so that he could go on. Uh, to Spain, because he's already said that in, in a lot of the communication. I want to go there on my way to Spain. I'm planning on going to Spain, and I will come and stop by there for a time. And so it's like, well, Paul wants to go to Rome because he wants a big offering. He's heard that they give big offerings, you know. And so um, Jan and I were blessed to, to visit a church last year with Steve Reed and uh, uh, this small church. There was, I don't know, maybe 20 people, 30 at the most in the service. And we did, you know, three, three days with, uh, on a healing seminar. And we left there with a check bigger than I've gotten in almost any place I've ever been. 
And I thought, what? You know, and then I thought, okay, I'm supposed to split this with Steve. You know, so I asked him. He said, oh, no, I got the same thing. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, so knowing where I want to go, I, I want to go by that church first. <laughs> you know, it's like, I just felt like God called me to come here. All right, now don't, don't think. Listen, listen to me. Don't think that ministers don't do that. So uh, it does happen. However, I want you to look at, look at the statement that I may reap some harvest or have some fruit, different translations have it different ways, among you as among the rest of the Gentiles. What kind of fruit was Paul having among, was he taking offerings? Was that his big thing? No. no. He was doing what? Preaching the gospel and seeing churches grow, seeing churches planted, doing the work. Just read the verse. Sorry, didn't mean to shout. I'm not, I'm not shouting at you. I was hoping that would get to the guy who wrote the commentary, but it's too late. You know, just think about what you're saying. Now, did Paul know that there would be offerings given? Yeah, but listen to these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, when he had to write to the church in Corinth. And he said, so what is, what is it? Barnabas and I, because we're not married, you don't think we need support? But you give to other people? They even send offerings to Peter and to James. They'd never even been to Corinth. In fact, Paul started the church in Corinth, but the people weren't supporting him. They were supporting other people, even disciples who'd never left Jerusalem. No problem with that. But Paul goes down through this whole thing and uh, the fact that you have an obligation and if we minister the gospel, then you have an obligation to support. But then he comes down to the end of the statement. He says, but you know what? Now that I've had to tell you that, I'd rather die than receive an offering from you. <laughs> so Paul, that's a horribly negative statement. You know, I, I rebuke that statement. No, Paul meant it. So, so, so don't... I'm coming there free of charge. Do not plan an offering for me. Now, I will take an offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem, which he writes in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Anyway, side issue. In this New Testament era, God had given a general command. So as we think of the, of the spreading of the gospel from the time of Pentecost and onward, and we are about 22 to 25 years down line, all right, because we don't know exactly what day this, was, this letter was written or year, but uh, somewhere around 20, 25 years, all right, since Pentecost, you know, we think, well, this is just, you know, this is just a few days, because the gospel, you know, just spread like wildfire. Well, yes and no. So God told them to go, but at, even at this point, 25 years down the line, most of the 12 were still in Jerusalem. Oh, a couple of them ventured into Samaria, and, you know, Peter went over to, Tro uh, to what was the name of the city? Um, Cornelius' house. No, 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 no. Joppa. And so he went over to Joppa, to Cornelius. But for the most part, the disciples, the twelve, stayed right within Jerusalem. Not that that was wrong if that's what God wanted them to do. And that was the center. And there were hundreds, surely hundreds of thousands of believers that needed to be taken care of. And the church was growing. But Paul and Barnabas found another way. They went to Antioch, and from Antioch, they got sent out. And then with the division between Paul and Barnabas, then it was Paul and Silas. And then they picked up a young man named Timothy. And then on their way to, to Troas, they found a young man named Luke and picked him up. And others began following Paul. And as he traveled, young men would join his, his circle and travel with him. Sometimes it was, uh, there were probably women that followed also, but 
Mostly it was men because that was the culture of the day. So Paul was doing what God told him to do. But so are the others if they are listening to God. So in the New Testament era, yes, God said go to all the world. He did say that, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Go into all the world. But they didn't just get on boats and go into all the world. They waited for God's timing, for God's purpose. And that's what I'm going to talk about, God's timing. Jesus also said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. They'd done that. And to the end of the earth. Ooh. Yeah, that's, that's a long way. Hawaii is a long way from Jerusalem. I was almost like the opposite side of the world. It's like, whoa. How do you get there? In Paul's day, you couldn't book a flight on Delta. So they had to wait. And they waited for what we call open doors. Doors. And doors or opportunities. So doors is just a a word used to describe an opportunity. A door has been opened. All right. And so a door was another way of saying an opportunity. So look at some of these verses I put down. Uh, Revelation chapter three, it says, Into the angel of the church at Philadelphia. This is the one church that has no issues. Um, Jesus writes to them the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, who shuts and no one opens. This is Jesus that has this authority. The devil cannot open a door. He cannot close a door. Right? That doesn't say you can't walk through a closed door. You can. Not advised. All right? That doesn't mean if God opens a door, you're going to go. Because there could be opposition. And so we don't go. So the door is just an opportunity. But these opportunities are in the hands of Jesus, not in the hands of the devil. All right? But look at verse X11. It says, uh, this is Peter explaining what happened in Cornelius' house in Joppa. All right, got that down now. All right, in Joppa. And so they questioned, Peter, what are you doing preaching the gospel to the Gentiles? Did you make them Jews first? Did you have a, pardon the roughness of this, a circumcision service, you know, outside the back of the house? Uh, make sure that they were all sealed and brought to uh, uh, no. No. <laughs> Because though, though the word's not used in this, who did this? Peter says, I just went, I just shared with them what I was asked. I shared with them this message of the gospel. And here's what happened, verse 17, Acts 11, verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, it was while Paul was preaching, what happened? Spirit fell on them, and what happened? They began to speak in tongues and worship God. Yes, like, I didn't do that. If God gave them the same gift, all right, isn't that an open door? So God gave them the same gift as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? God forbid I stand in the Lord's way. When they heard these things, they fell silent that is, his opposers, and they glorified God. Peter just made that little statement, and all of their hearts changed. Well, not all of them, because a couple chapters later, <laughs> this, it comes back up. But anyway, they glorify God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life, or we could say salvation. To the Gentiles. Who opened that door? Jesus does. God does. Right. So this is something that God has given this opportunity. However, even though the door has been opened, there wasn't a lot of movement from the 12 to the Gentiles. But Barnabas and several others went to the city of Antioch. 
they found Gentile believers there. And they began growing that church, reaching people, bringing people in from all manners of the world. Antioch was a main crossroads for travel in the, in the Middle East, for co- commerce and all the things that were going to, on their way to Rome from the East and from even from China and India. It went through Antioch, and <laughs> things going from Rome back the other way all came to Antioch. Things coming up from Egypt into Europe went through Antioch. So there was a major crossroads, and there were people there from all manners of nations, and the church began to grow because it's, Barnabas says when he saw the grace of God, he realized what God was doing in that church. And so he stayed there. But the church was growing and he needed some help. So where did he go? He looked for a man named Saul, who was, as far as he knew, back in his hometown. And so he went to find Saul and brought him from Tarsus to Antioch. And the church grew and it grew. And it grew. We have no idea how large that church was, but it became the mission church because they saw the grace of God. They saw what God was doing. Another word for grace is favor. If you haven't noticed that in the New Testament, you can replace the word favor with grace in many places, especially when it refers to circumstances or issues he saw the favor of god well then paul also mentions this doors first corinthians chapter 16 paul says i'm going to stay in ephesus until pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me god has opened the door and we're going to stay here and do this until the door shuts. Now, the door is open, but here's the thing. Paul has to make a decision to stay there, right? The door is open. You can walk away. The door is open. I don't like what's on the other side. The door is open. I don't want to take the gospel to those people. Remember Jonah? <laughs> God opened a door to Nineveh. Jonah said, eh, don't want to go. In fact, I want to go on a sea cruise. And so he went on a sea cruise and got a whale of a lot of trouble. Okay. So, I know, bad. But notice what else he says. Not only has God opened a wide door here, there are what? There's many adversaries. Listen to me. An open door doesn't mean it's going to be easy. An open door doesn't mean there's not going to be opposition from family, from friends, from others. No young lady who's got a call to go to a work of ministry, but she's got almost no support from her friends. The people that she works with, and she works in a church, not this church. Her family is in agreement, but she's getting very little support from everybody else. Oh, I don't think God wants you to do that. No, I don't believe that that's God's call for you. No, we're just like, listen, God doesn't put his will for you in someone else's head. He may confirm it to you. And if you're having questions, there may be words from them that will help you realize that maybe your questions are right. But don't let someone else be your ear for the voice of God. Paul said, I've got adversaries. And I would imagine some of those adversaries were people he knew very well. Look at Colossians chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, bring watchful in, in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us. Pray for us. So listen, prayer... Can open doors. Because the passion in your heart and your desire 
can, and I have to say this, move the mind of God. The Greek word is hegemai, and it means to lead the mind. And God can allow his mind to be led. I can give you scripture after scripture that supports that. And so, does that mean in God's foreknowledge he didn't know you were going to do that? No. But sometimes God is waiting for us to want to do one of the things he wants us to do. That doesn't mean we have to. Just because God opens the door, like I already said, you don't have to go through it. And there's many people who have not walked through the door that God has opened for them because one situation or another. But he said to pray for us, that God, pray for us, that God. What's what I tell you about that little word, that? So that. Pray for us so that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. <laughs> so, okay, God opened a door. I preached the gospel and I'm in prison. Well, that was the wrong door. No, no, it was the right door. It's just that this is the way I'm here. But pray also that God may open to us a door for the word. Skip down to verse 4. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul said, I want you to pray not only that I have an open door, but that when I go, I can make it clear. Which is how I ought to speak. You think, Paul asking for people to pray that he'll communicate the gospel better? Paul? Yeah. Paul said, I want to be effective. If I go to these people, I want to speak what they need to hear. Not what I've determined for them to hear. I want to know what it is that is, is necessary here. And so we have this obligation. God opened a door. Top of the next page. But then God doesn't just open doors. He closes doors. Jesus said that. I open the doors, no one shuts them. I close the door, no one opens it. That doesn't mean you can't push your way through. Because there's plenty of people who are where God doesn't want them to be. But listen to me, that's not my decision. That whether they are where they're supposed to be or not. They have made those choices. Jan mentioned King Josiah. God did not want him to go to war. He told him he didn't want him to go to war. He went anyway. And he died. And the kingdom was worse for it. You got to listen. So God determines that an opportunity is not for me. Or that the timing is wrong. And the idea that it's a closed door also implies that I want to do it. So there's, there's plenty of doors out there that are closed to me, but it doesn't matter because I don't want to do them anyway. It's the ones I want to do that God says no. What? Jesus said, take the gospel anywhere. Preach it anywhere. Just go where you want to go. Just get on a plane and go. Go preach. Go take it to the da-da-da. No. Listen to Paul's words, Acts chapter 16. This is Paul's second missionary journey. Barnabas has gone his way. He's got Silas. He stops through the city of, of Lystra, picks up a young man named Timothy, and brings him along and says, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. That's central, like east area of what we know of as Turkey. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, that would be toward the southeast. No, you can't go there. What? The Holy Spirit would never tell you not to speak the gospel somewhere, did Paul. And if it worked for Paul, it must be for me. Did you ever want to say something and you felt like God put some kind of muzzle on you? 
I want to say it, but I can't say it because it's not the holy work of the Holy Spirit. It may be that he wants someone else to do it. It may be that it's not the right time for you to do it. You know what was the capital of the, of the region which we call Asia, which is the southeast part of what we know of as Turkey? You know the capital? Ephesus. Five years later, Paul's in Ephesus and has a three-year incredible campaign of growth and productivity. What was the problem? Did God never want him in Asia? And so he's out of the will of God when he finally went there? No, timing. Being there when God wants you to be there. He says, so the Holy Spirit didn't let us speak the word in Asia. Couldn't go there. And when they had come to Mysia, that's kind of the north central area. When they come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia. That's up in what we call to the northeast. So I can't go to the southeast. I can't go to the northeast. I have to pass through the central north. And I, I want to go up here, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Just another way of saying the Holy Spirit said, no, no, you can't do this. God did not want him to go to Bithynia. A number of years later, Peter went to Bithynia, had incredible success there. Some of the other disciples went to Bithynia. Some of them died there. It was an incredibly difficult area. So passing by Mysia. So he had to walk through this whole region with his mouth closed. Timothy's saying, let's stop and preach. Let's preach. Let's preach. Let's preach. You know, like a little puppy on his side, you know. It's like, no, no. Paul walked through an entire region of Turkey and kept his mouth closed. Why? Listening to God. I know sometimes we think, well, you know, we're supposed to witness to everybody, anybody, everywhere, anytime. No, listen to God. Listen to God. Let him give you the words. You might be the one to say something to them, maybe plant a seed. You might be the one to plow up some hard ground. They may be angry by the time you got done sharing with them and you think, well, that was fruitless. No, you just put a plow in, turn the soil over. It's got to be a little bit of, you know, the invention of the plow, turning the soil over was so that the soil would rot. The grass on the top would rot and make the soil fertile so that the next person coming through could plant the seed. God knows what he's doing. Sometimes you're just watering seed and walking on. And then somewhere along the way, somebody gets the harvest. So, well, look at what that guy does. No, look at all the people who plowed, who sowed, who watered. There's been a lot of people involved. And just because this one person goes and sees a tremendous success doesn't mean somebody else wasn't there doing the previous work. I hope this is helping you. I'm spending more time on this than I wanted to spend, but that's me. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. In um, the Wiest, W-U-E-S-T, Wiest translation, um, Wiest, Kenneth Wiest was the dean of Moody Bible Institute for many years. Incredible, incredible mind, uh, incredible Greek insights and he's still used by many many scholars to this day uh, his translation of that passage says and falling down to troas and since it's it's almost like you know you put a marble in one of those games and it just goes around to the little pins and finally ends up at the bottom what do they call that kind of game anyway it's like pinball but kind of kind of the same thing but and so it falls down, hits all the little pins on the way. It's, it's, it's like that. 
Paul didn't intend to go to Troas. It's just like, that's yeah, where we ended up. <laughs> because I can't go east and I can't go north and I can't go south and I can't stay central. There's no place else for me to be but west. And Troas is on this little peninsula. It's about as far west as you can go. And the only thing from Troas is the Aegean Sea and Greece. So he finally gets there. Along the way, they would have gone through a city called Pergamos, Book of Revelation, in which was the largest medical school that had ever existed. And a young man joined their party who was a physician. His name was Luke. And so suddenly the pronoun we starts being used in passages. And so they come to this situation. Notice it says in verse 10. And when Paul had seen a vision, oh, verse 9, I'm sorry, a vision appeared to Paul. So they got to Troas, nothing going on. Paul gets a vision. A man of Macedonia standing there, urging him. He could tell he was from Macedonia by the clothing that he was wearing. Urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Well, Paul's been wanting to go everywhere. But what's happened? The Spirit forbid him. The Spirit of Jesus didn't allow it. He had to pass through. It's like, well, okay, now I got a vision. That must be it, right? Read with me. And when he'd seen the vision, immediately we sought. We what? We sought to go. Another translation says we attempted to go. Why? Because Paul's like, okay, we'll go down to the dock. Didn't hear anything. We'll get on the boat. Didn't hear anything. We'll be ready to go. They'll pick up the anchor. We're still here. All right. We're sailing out. We're on the GNC. We're coming to the coast of Greece. We finally arrive, a place called Neapolis. They finally get there. They get off the boat. There's no spirit of Jesus forbidding them. There's no Holy Spirit not allowing them, right? They've been listening all along the way. We sought, we attempted. Is this, is this what you want? I had a vision. Maybe somebody came and said, but you know what? I still want to know that it's the will of God. So we sought to go, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Look at the word concluding. I highlighted it there. In the Greek language, the word conclude is, is, <clears throat> is a word which means to put this together with that, together with this, together with that, and arrive at an at a, a, um, answer. All right? So you conclude, you put things together until it seems to be what you're supposed to do. And so this is the word that Paul uses there. We attempted to go. We assumed that this is what God wanted to do. Another translation says. But when they got there, they concluded this is what God wanted. Now, what did he see in his vision? A man calling him over there. First main city that they went to, Philippi. They went there on the Sabbath. They went down to the river which is what you do if there's no synagogue in the city. So here's a main city of Israel, or of, of Rome, Greece, a Roman colony, and there's no Jewish synagogue. There were synagogues in small little villages that he went to, but not a synagogue in the city of Philippi. So the Bible had told them to go down to the river. That's what... That's what Ezekiel did on the Sabbath, since there was no synagogues, there was no place to worship in um, Babylon, they went down to the river. Going down to the river, you know the songs, right? So we go down the river, so that's what they would do. And they would worship on the river, and so that was the, the, the directions that God had given. So Paul went on the Sabbath day, it says in Acts chapter 16, we went down to the river, 
assuming that there would be a gathering of Jewish people. What did he find? Lydia and the women from her household. Well, I saw a man. This must be the wrong place. No, he's in exactly the right place. And he knew it. And the Bible says how God opened her heart. And through Paul and Silas and Timothy, they preached this message and found that this is the place that God wanted them to be. Then he got thrown in jail. And then he met a man. Right? Yeah. So there's all kinds of things. Don't let circumstances tell you. Don't let people tell you. Don't let your fears tell you. Don't let your excitement tell you. Listen. Listen for the direction of God. Now, the last thing here is that they were hindered. I guess this is all the further I'm going to get tonight. They were hindered. And being hindered can occur in two different ways. Being hindered. The Greek word for hindered is a word which means to cut the road. It's a, it's a military term. And so that, you know, in, in military combat, uh, you want to stop either the enemy's advancement or cut his supply lines. And you cut the supply lines. Uh, you take out the bridges, you know, and as our, as our soldiers were advancing from Normandy into Germany through the realms of France and Belgium, um, the Germans were trying to destroy rivers at every place. Destroy bridges, I mean, at every one of the rivers so that they could not get across and to keep the army from advancing. And the enemy would do that. The Romans did that a lot. They could build a bridge. Oh, they could tear one down. And they were excellent at tearing down bridges. And if it meant, you know, poverty for the people who were there, they didn't care. As long as their enemy was not able to advance or they could entrap their enemy so it was a major thing to cut the road but it came from that into the idea of anything that interrupts anything that hinders the flow and so Paul talked about there are many adversaries he said pray for us that we find the right thing so things can be hindered but there's two sources of being hindered. One is God. God can hinder your plans because he's got something else for you to do. Even though you know that he wants you to do that, you've got this to do. And so that's exactly what Paul says in Romans 1.13. There's numerous other passages. There's the end of Romans chapter 15. There's several passages in the book of Acts where this same subject is brought up. But we'll just look at this, Romans 1.13. I want you to be aware, often intended to come, but what? But thus far have been prevented by God or by the devil? Listen, let's flow. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. If you go to chapter 15, you find out that Paul was hindered because God wanted him here. And God wanted him there. And God had a purpose for me to be here. And I want to come to Rome, but I've got to go to Jerusalem first. He didn't intend on being three years in prison, but he was. And on a shipwreck and all the rest of that. But where did he, where did he end up? In Rome. Acts 28, last passage says Paul was in Rome. Wow. He got there. So, all of these, these things. But some of the hindrance was God. Okay, I, I know I've shown you that I want you to do this, but here's something I want you to do first. That can be so frustrating. That God gives you something else to do when you know that he's also giving you that to do. But you've got to listen to God and put things in order, and you have to, to accept the plans and the purposes. If I'm delayed in doing this, all right. It's all right. Because if God said I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. Just not in my timing, 
but his. Let me share a little story that goes all the way back to the cross. Jesus looked down from the cross, and one of his disciples was down there. His name was John. And he looked at John, and he said, Behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. And Jesus committed his mother's care to John. Now, the responsibility in a Jewish family was that the oldest son was to give care for the parents. And if the mother was widowed, it became his responsibility to see to his mother, to care for her. Jesus was the oldest son in the family. Whose responsibility was it? His. But he was dying on a cross. <laughs> and he knew that when he did come back, he wasn't going to stay there. He was going on to heaven. Who's going to take care of my mother? I love that. Who's going to care for my mother? So he looked at John. There was the disciple whom Jesus loved. There was this young man, maybe still in his teens. We, we don't really know. And Jesus said, you. You're here. You're at the cross. The rest of them were good. He could have said it to Peter. I'm not sure how that would have worked. <laughs> but he said it to John. Now, John got involved in a few things early in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3 was gone into the temple, but it was Peter that spoke. They both ended up in prison and they both preached, but it's Peter's name that gets on the sermon. Later, when the people got saved in Samaria under Philip, Peter and John went up there to make sure that everything was right and everything was in order. The people received the Holy Spirit and then they came back. But John pretty much disappeared from anything. And in A.D. 60... When many of the rest of the disciples by that time had started to go out to other works, in fact, by AD 60, several of them uh, had died. Um, by 65, 67, when Paul died around AD 67, most of the other 12 were dead. It's, a, it's a pretty much assumed from traditions, church traditions and historical references that all of the disciples, all of the rest of the 12 were dead by AD 70. So they were going out and dying. John stayed there taking care of Jesus' mother. Why? That's what Jesus said to do. Yeah, but I'm an apostle too. <laughs> you know, I, 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 they're out there. Producing, even dying for the faith. Here I am, taking care of mom. I'm sure it wasn't that way. I don't know what it'd be like. I'm, I know, you know, giving care for my mother to some degree, and my sister did more because she lived there in town, and my brother, but can you imagine it being Jesus' mom? Ooh. Yeah, okay, anything you want, anytime you want it, whatever you want. Yeah, he's like, yeah. But A.D. 67, as the Romans began their destruction of the city of Jerusalem, Jesus had preached to the Twelve. And he said, and when you see these signs, flee this city. Now, some of it was in reference to the end times, but it was also in reference to something that was really going to happen. And he said, and when you see these signs and the city surrounded and all this, get out of here. And so Christians left the city of Jerusalem. They went to Alexandria in Egypt. They went to Babylon in what we know of as Rock. They went to the cities of, of Corinth and Ephesus, Athens. They went to Rome. They went to Spain. They went to France, the city of Lyon, by A.D. 100, was already becoming a center for Christianity. And so 
there was all of this spread of the gospel. Christians leaving and going. Because Jesus said, flee this city. So what did John do? He took the mother of Jesus and moved her to Ephesus. And around AD 67, they were in Ephesus. Around 72, she died in that city. And originally they buried her there, but then they say her tomb is in Jerusalem. But so be it. But she died in that city. And you know what happened then? John started his ministry. 30 years after everyone else. 30 years. Everybody else has done theirs. Now I get to start? <laughs> of course, being the youngest. At that time, he was in his mid-40s. So it's good. It's fine. The other 12 had about 30 years of ministry. You know what God gave John? 30 years of ministry. Until almost 100, it's maybe 105. John's ministry was just as great, had just as much impact, in fact, even greater impact in, in some ways because he got to see the next generation of people. By the time that John wrote his letters in the 90s, philosophies, culture, people's thinking had changed. The, the evil of, of the, uh, the cults had come in, and so much of the, the mind science uh, issues were coming in, the mystic cults, and all those things were beginning to grow. So John had the opportunity to respond to them. And so his gospel and his letters take on a different tone than Paul's letters or Peter's letters because he's addressing a different situation in the minds of the people. So, yeah, hindered. Was John hindered? I want to be an apostle. You called me to be an apostle. I'm being a son, caretaker. Where does that fit into the word apostle? God's plan hindered. There's one other way of being hindered, and I'll do this quickly. The second way of being hindered is by Satan. Satan can hinder us. And Satan can come in and try to cut the road to the place of the door that God has opened for you. Paul was ministering in the city of Thess Thessalonica, had a great church developed there. Then he got run out of the city. And it was best for him to leave. And after several months, it wasn't just a couple weeks, but after several months, Paul left the city. And then it says he tried to get back in. Look at the reference. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you for a short time, in person but not in heart, so we were literally torn away from you. The Greek word is orphaned from you. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. We kept trying eagerly. We kept trying to get back to the city because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. So Paul says, I tried to get back into the city. Some of the, the people who were trying to destroy the church were saying, well, Paul didn't care for you. He just came here to take your money. He just came here to, you know, to start your own thing. He was robbing you. He was molesting you. He was doing evil to you. He was teaching you false doctrines. He doesn't care about you. All he cares about is his own fame and his own notoriety and all those kinds of things. Paul says, that's not true. That's not true. I kept trying to come back. But Satan cut the road. The same people who were saying Paul doesn't care were the ones who were keeping him out of the city. Jerry, if somebody is your opponent and they're the things that they're accusing you of, they're the ones who are responsible for doing it. And so this is the exact situation that Paul is finding himself in. I tried time and again. You know, the picture I get is hiding under the, under the wagon, you know, holding onto the axle, trying to get into the city, buried in the hay. You know, Martin Luther's wife, Katie, she had to escape from a, um, a 
convent, a monastery, with some of the other uh, women who had, though they were nuns, they had heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, and they had been converted um, to what we call Protestant. <laughs> they had to get out of that monastery, but there was no way to get out, so what did they do? Anybody know the story? They hid in what? Fish barrels. Barrels of oily, old herring. Yeah. Great. How long are we going to take to get that out of your clothes? You know, and so I, I see Paul trying to get back into the city. But who's hindering? Is it people? Don't, don't direct it at the people. Who's behind the people? Satan is hindering. But listen to me. Just put this together. You can, you can write this down, put a stamp on it. If the devil's hindering, it's because God wants you there. He wouldn't be hindering something that God doesn't want you to do. Well, that's a closed door, so the devil's going to hinder you. No, no, he's not. The reason Satan's hindering or cutting into the road or keeping you from doing, and you, you know it's not God that's directing you to something else that is fruitful. It's the devil hindering you from getting to the place where you feel you need to be. Paul wanted to be there to minister to the people, to comfort them, to help straighten out the problems, but he couldn't get there. So instead, he went to, from Berea, he went down to Athens by, his own, by himself. But as he got to Athens, he sent a young man named Timothy, wrote a letter, sent him back to there with what we call First Thessalonians, to help answer some of the problems. And so Paul says he sent Timothy. Timothy came back, told him what was going on. Paul wrote the letter, and the letter got there. Timothy could get in, but Paul couldn't. So when the devil hinders, listen to me, believe God for a new way, a new strategy. If I can't get there, I can write a letter. And Thessalonians was the first letter that Paul wrote to the churches. And you know what? The letter helped the people. They had some other questions. Paul answered them in the second letter. Paul began. He couldn't be every place God wanted him to be, every place his heart wanted him to be, every opportunity, but he could do what? Surround himself with men and women who would hear him, copy his letters, and carry them. And so he surrounded himself with these people and sent letters, sent letters, sent letters. And you know what? We can read his letter today. If he'd gotten there in person, there'd be no letter to the Thessalonians. See, God's ideas are better. So believe God for a new strategy, a new method, a new way. Because the devil may have his wiles, his methods, but God's got better strategy. Amen. Amen. And that's all the further I'm going to get. I, I hope this helped. I, I believe this is something that can apply to us all. Maybe you didn't come here tonight to get this, but you needed it. That's what I'm believing. God opened the door for this, so that's what we did. Okay, so there we are. Amen. So, Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, Father God, that you... You are in control of so many things that are beyond our ability to control, beyond our ability to even think or plan. But you know. You know where you want us. You know when you want us. You know how you want us to get there. You know the timing. You know the provision. And so, Father, I just thank you that you make ways that we can't make that you have purposes to accomplish things that have been a burden upon our heart. Father, your ways are greater. Your ways are perfect. And I thank you, Father God, that you help each one in here tonight to understand 
in their life, the purpose, the plans that you have, the open doors, the closed doors, the hindrances from you, from the devil. Father, I believe that you will allow us to be successful in every way as we keep our hearts open before you. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.